Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, before we discuss our topic today, I uh, would like to say to you, uh, please do subscribe, won't you, to the channel. Uh, we're now on something like 12 million views, 109,000 subscribers, but we want to keep that going. So please do go on. When you go onto the channel, uh, press uh, subscribe, and then next door to it, there's another pin there. It's like a, a little bell, uh, which is notifications. That way you'll get all our programs as they come up. So uh, please do that, won't you? Now, it takes uh, a big subject, surely, to knock COVID and the pandemic and the lockdown off the front of the newspapers. But that's what's happened, obviously, this week. Uh, the news has been dominated by the interview given by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle to Oprah Winfrey. So today we're going to be looking at the consequences of this. How seriously will it damage the monarchy? Uh, how will it change public attitudes to the monarchy? And indeed, should we even have a monarchy in the future? Now, with me to discuss this, I'm very pleased we have the journalist and author and, in fact, biographer of Prince Harry, Angela Levin. We have Emma Webb from Civitas. Brendan O'Neill, obviously very well known to you from all his various me media appearances and editor of Spiked Online. And Rafe Hadelman Koo making a much welcome return, albeit remotely, to the programme. Obviously, Rafe is historian and commentator and also has been doing a lot of royal commentary uh, in the um, Australia, America, New Zealand uh, over the past few days. So thank you very much for joining us uh, all. Um, can I start with you, Angela? Uh, this interview that went out in America on Sunday, in Britain on Monday, uh, was it as bad as you feared or was it what you expected? It was um, much worse than I feared. I thought it might be an old repetitive thing about how we've got to be compassionate to everybody and things like that. Um, I was profoundly shocked. At some point I couldn't even say anything. I was so shocked. I thought it was um, incredibly nasty, really. It was really washing um, proper royal linen in, in public, which I don't think anybody should do. I thought it was cruel. I felt some sympathy for Meghan um, because I felt... That some it was sympathy. Very sympathy for Meghan because I felt that it was very hard for her to be in the royal family that she absolutely seemed not to understand what it was about at all. And various other things which we probably will come to, you know, that she felt so depressed. I don't think anyone should feel like that. But um, when I thought about it a bit later, about five o'clock in the morning, I saw that there were lots of holes in the claims that they made and they didn't seem to sound um, solid to me. Um, making statements, making accusations without going into the context of it, the background of it, or who it was and the type of conversation that brought them up. Instead of which, the uh, royal family now has a thick, dark cloud over it where everybody's blamed. We don't know if it's a senior royal who said the wrong things. We don't know if it's a very young junior employee who's just begun working in the palace or whether it's somebody in between. And I think to allow that is particularly to, to encourage that thought amongst us is very dangerous yeah. for the monarchy. Rafe, 
Uh, how serious do you think the damage is through this interview to the institution? Well, the one good thing, as, as King Farouk of Egypt once said, at the end of the day, there'll only be uh, five monarchies left, five kings left, the king of spades, king of clubs, king of arts, king of diamonds, and the king of England. He is very, is very secure in this country. Polling for the monarchy has always been strong, even the dark, in the darkest days of the 90s, the Annals of Ripley's in 92, the death of Diana in 97. Support for, support for the monarchy was surprisingly now there, are, now, there are population shifts demographically in this country with the younger population and recent uh, immigrants showing less affiliation for the monarchy. But the monarchy here is still secure. But it's the damage that has caused to Grand Britain, to UKT, to our soft power status around the world. You look at America now, so the Americans see that they have their Britain, Britain shattered by this. You look at Carl Paul, former Prime Minister of saying this is yet further evidence to abolish, to abolish the monarchy. Similar calls now being uh, heard in the Caribbean. So this is not only a betrayal by Harry of his brother, his father, his grandmother, the entire family. This is a betrayal of Britain too. Would you go, Brendan, do you, do you, did you come away with the impression of the interview in a, in a way, you know, that sort of was that it was anti-monarchy. I mean, you're a Republican. Did, did you think that this was sort of direct, directed at the institution? I, I thought the whole thing was grotesque, to be honest. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not one to beat around the bush. I thought it was a disgusting spectacle. What we had here were two incredibly wealthy, privileged, youngish people um, sitting in uh, an unbelievably luxurious, luxurious mansion in California, telling the billionaire Oprah Winfrey how difficult their lives have been, how oppressed they are, what victims they are. And it was incredibly decadent and lacking in self-awareness and completely tone deaf. This is a country, the United States, where 40 million people lost their jobs as a result of lockdown, where millions of people have been plunged into poverty, where people are getting by on stimulus checks worth $2,000, which is about half the cost of the dress that Meghan wore for her interview with Oprah, which she will probably never wear again. I just thought the whole thing, th this playing of the victim card by people who are incredibly privileged was was quite repulsive. And I do think it will be damaging to the monarchy. I've been a Republican all my life. I'm now really worried that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are turning me into a monarchist because I constantly feel the urge to defend the monarchy. I, I'm opposed to the monarchy and ultimately I would like to see it abolished. But my admiration for the Queen is growing all the time because she is really the only member of the British establishment who is holding the line, who is defending traditional values, who's defending tradition itself against this tsunami of crazy people and crazy um, new ideas, you know, right from Princess Diana to Meghan Markle, from the cult of revelation to the cult of emotionalism, all of these trends have been banging on the Queen's door for the past 30 or so years, and she's held the line against them. So my admiration for her is growing, but I do think the monarchy will be pretty deeply damaged, particularly internationally, by what Harry and Meghan have done. This is, uh, this is the point, isn't it? Because this is this racism charge... 
you've got to remember the Commonwealth is 70% non-white. I mean, this is, and this is something that the Queen has dedicated her life pretty much to, wouldn't you say? I mean, you know, uh, Brendan mentioned there about public service and everything. Of course, we all know, don't we, what the public service really is. And it's not universal, is it, in the way that Prince Harry and, and Meghan have said? Yeah, I think that um, I've actually... I, uh, Brenda's just given me a, a reason to... Well, one reason to like Meghan Markle, that she's made you into feeling like you might become a monarchist. Um, but no, I think that you, you made a really good point there. And there is, as you say, um, all of these uh, trends in society at large knocking on the door of the monarchy. Mm. Um, and what I thought was um, particularly jarring was the the sheer narcissism and as you say the lack of self-awareness of Meghan and Harry in contrast to the Queen's speech the the day before um, about Commonwealth Day talking about um, a selfless um, devotion to duty which she really has um, epitomised throughout her entire life and her career that it was just so obvious that um, Harry and Meghan particularly Meghan have this absolutely rotten mindset and just bad ideas that are really at the core of a lot of the stuff that they were saying, um, which is symptomatic of something in society at large. Um, But they really did seem to be just um, painfully out of touch. And, you know, there were moments where I was sort of pulling my jumper up and cringing because it was just so awful to watch. And like you said, you know, the the racism um, charges that they made. And as Angela already pointed out, you know, afterwards you you, you sort of step back to look at some of the claims they've made. And there are, it's like moth-bitten. There are holes all over the place. And it was almost like an Adam Curtis documentary, the way they juxtaposed unrelated things to imply something that probably never happened, like the um, references to race in relationship to um, what they were saying about... um, about Archie's title not being given the title of prince, even though it's not protocol for him to be given the title of prince, but they were trying to make that into a, 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 an issue of racism. The worst, it, the worst one for me, actually, was her saying that she was so depressed that she wanted to die. Um, she uh, was desperate for help. She went to HR in in the palace which is an extraordinary choice because it's for staff it's not for the members of the royal family and they said to her that um, she can't do anything about it because it might affect the institution she called things the institution not the palace or the monarchy um, distancing herself and I and I, I thought how terrible that was and then I thought to myself this is perhaps nonsense I mean Prince Harry went to seek um, therapy when in his early 20s when he suddenly had this terrible um, throwback to his mother's death and he got incredibly depressed and he acknowledged that his brother Prince William was very helpful in getting him the right person to help him. Prince Charles went to seek therapy when his marriage to Diana completely broke up and he helped Diana get help as well. Um, Harry um, Kate and William set up this royal foundation on which or in which mental health was absolutely prime that people should come out and they should talk about it and and not be ashamed and yet what did he do he's Meghan's husband he must know countless people the the royal family knows every good doctor and specialist in the in the in the country 
And why didn't he help her? Why didn't he make a few phone calls? But the worst thing of all is that when you're pregnant, you go along to the obstetrician regularly and they ask you about your health. And there was Megan's opportunity to ask about um, her depression and to seek help. That the fact that nobody did anything is absolutely unbelievable. But it doesn't. It doesn't have the ring of truth to me about about the, the the therapy thing. When as when I saw it, it sort of seemed like oh, they don't believe in all this stuff, and so therefore they basically stopped her doing it, right? But the fact is, we all know that. Right, going right back to Princess Margaret, they had therapy. They I, all believe in yeah, it. Yes, exactly. So it's a nonsense. Do you think? Wait. Sorry, Rafe. Yes. Well, yes. We have to remember, Meghan Markle isn't a nineteen-year-old Diana. This is a thirty-nine-year-old woman and an extremely successful American actress who moved to L.A., that jungle, that competitive jungle, worked her way up through there, which is not an easy thing to do. This is a strong-willed woman, a determined woman, who's friends with people like Serena Williams and George Clooney, etc. The idea that she's not capable herself of reaching out for help, for paying a psychiatrist of her own, she could have a permanent psychiatrist with her if she wanted to. I don't buy it at all. In fact, I don't believe anything that this woman says uh, when it's not corroborated by clear evidence. We see none of that. And to lay that most in- insidious and incendiary charge of racism, the worst charge you can make in this climate, to lay that at the footstep of Buckingham Palace without any evidence and without naming the person or providing any contact, contact in terms of how it was said, where it was said, with what tone it was said, and so forth, and not to name the person, placing a shadow, casting a shadow over the entire royal family inexcusable calumny. Um, Brenton, you know, if you just think back to uh, Diana's fam- famous interview with Panorama, which has actually been in the news a bit lately, hasn't it? Because of the way in which she was uh, got by Bashir. Uh, do you think this is qualitatively different? I mean, at the time when we watched that, I remember the monarchy was at a low ebb. It seemed very mortal as an institution. Uh, but here we are, you know, 25, 30 years later, and it's actually been going quite great guns. So do, do you think it's, this is worse in its effect or for the monarchy or not as bad? That's a good question. I think um, there are similarities between the Diana interview and the Harry and Meghan interview. I'm afraid I was never the biggest fan of Diana. I know that was that's that's a blasphemous thought in some circles, but... One of the first ever jobs I did in journalism, actually the first piece of reporting I ever did in my whole life, um, was go down to the mall uh, when everyone was um, camping out, essentially, so that they could see the funeral cortege and interview people who were camping out. I was very young at the time, and I was slightly bamboozled by people's behavior, so I wanted to discover why people were doing this, and I, I didn't like the cult of Diana. I didn't like the way in which she was held up as this figurehead of New Britain, the people's princess, who would transform us all into these kind of open, therapeutic, emotional creatures and get rid of the stiff upper lip and all that kind of stuff. So I was never a huge fan of the Diana effect, the way she was invested with this emotional power by people like Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell. Um, There were echoes of that in the Harry and Meghan interview. And in fact, um, Meghan name-checked Diana and she said that she had talked to one of Diana's friends and asked her for advice. But it was also different as well because I think one key difference is that Diana 
Diana, I don't think, wanted to take the monarchy down. Diana didn't express contempt for the people of Britain. In fact, she said she wanted to be the queen of people's hearts. Now, we might think that's a bit saccharine, etc., but she did express an affection for the people of Britain. What Harry and Meghan did, they actually expressed contempt for the people of Britain. They expressed contempt for the royal family by, um, you know, spreading all these unsubstantiated rumours about racism and so on. But they also expressed contempt for ordinary Brits. The way they talked about how the supposed bigotry of the tabloids filters down into society at large. And Meghan openly said that the tabloid newspapers had tapped into a part of the British people, which is their alleged racism. Mm. So they have this horrible view of ordinary Brits as a kind of latent racist mob who are so menacing and horrible that they had no choice but to flee the country. That's what's different. Diana had affection for the people of the UK and in fact wanted to um, bond with us, Harry and Meghan seem to have turned their back not just on the monarchy but on British people as well and that's the thing I think that will stick in many people's throats. Actually, I I was going to ask you but you know, obviously you followed Harry round for quite a while but but quite a a few years ago, I think when he was still a soldier he made a comment that Britain wasn't a very nice place to be he, um, he famously made this, which people have tended to forget, you know. Yes, I, I don't remember that, to be honest. But I, what I do know is that Diana um, instilled in both her sons a sense of duty from a very early age. She came from an aristocratic family and she cared about the monarchy. She was um, off in Sandringham when the Queen was there and she was invited for tea and to play hide-and-seek. And, and so she knew exactly... Um, what it was for a child and she wanted her children to to be devoted to this country and she treated them very well um, so that Harry um, as little as possible felt that he was the spare she boosted him and and when Harry got fed up with being in the limelight and wanted to leave he said to me that um, he felt that he couldn't desert the Queen that he felt so proud of her and admired her so much that he would stay here and try and work out a life around her because his sense of duty was so strong and his other sense of duty was to go to William because he realised there was a huge burden and he thought that he could help him with this so it's in his genes really and suddenly now he thinks it's the most terrible place to be what I thought was terrible in the interview when he said that his, his father and his brother were trapped. And that's such an angry word. It's like saying they're imprisoned and they've got no idea about what's going on. It was very patronising as well. Um, and he hadn't realised he was trapped until Meghan told him. And I think that's another key, the fact of how much she controls him and how much he has to do to please her. Um, And I think that's why he looks um, a shadow of himself, because he's working so hard to please her. He's besotted with her and thinks that she is um, beyond human, which is what she wants, I think. And um, he's terribly stressed that he doesn't feel he's making her happy. You see it in him. He's, he's, He's nervous. He's twitchy. He's... He looks depressed. The way that the way that she in that, that interview, but also in other interviews as well, the way that she she seems to look at him, 
physically, it looks as if, I mean, maybe you can get the body language experts in, but she looks at him almost as if he's a, a child or an object or something. And the way that he behaves around her, particularly in that scene during the um, one of those little separate bits, not the main interview, during the um, Oprah interview where he's sitting there feeding the chickens and he's almost sitting there like a lobotomised child. And the way that he speaks is quite frighteningly similar to somebody who is, has been like radicalised or they're mm. in a cull in the sense that it's almost like he's not speaking his own words where he talks about um, having done the work and that, you know, he's he, almost like he's educated himself. Um, and when he talks about racism, he's really absorbed these ideas, but it doesn't sound like he's it's him who's speaking. Not that I want to suggest that he's not, you know, responsible for his his own part in this. But I think the dynamic between him and Megan is really interesting because toxic. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And and sh it's um, well, it's 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 the narcissism again, isn't it? Really. Um, One thing is quite interesting. Sorry, Rafe. Yes. Cool. It's such an important point that phrase that he said. I didn't know, I was trapped, but I didn't realize it. And, uh, you know, everyone's quite correct on this point. He reminds me a bit of the Duke of Windsor, in the sense that neither, neither of them were very, were very clever. They're not the brightest sparks in the Christmas tree, and they were easily dominated, and in fact, looked for that domination. And, the, and the, um, the shift in the power play was so evident compared to when they were first engaged to that Oprah Winfrey uh, interview, where her hand was on top of his hand. She was controlling. And you know she's she's always you know she's the Yoko Ono of for the royal family now in the sense that this woman has actually radicalised inserted new ideas into his mind. Remember, this chap who's now making accusations of racism was the same chap who was happy to don a Nazi uniform and a swastika, who referred to one of his Pakistani uh, colleagues by, by by with a racial epithet. He's transformed himself completely in the in the way that Megan has tried to bring the royal family into the culture. This is a, a classic case of the culture wars affecting yet another institution in this country. Hypersensitivity, the snowflakes versus those who put duty first. Issues which we would just brush off become deeply offensive to these people. These are issues which they simply can't get over. Incidents which probably are forgotten by most people, they still hurt and have feelings about it. I think it's very interesting that um, Harry before used to go around and talk to people. He was very good with damaged soldiers psychologically and physically but now he's turned into a, a sub-lecturer you know um, Megan lectures all of us as to how we should behave and what we should think and she takes it on a world brand the UK platform is far too small for her she's always talking about globally and she had the audacity to say just before this um, interview came out that she is going to, um, you know, bring compassion to the masses. And you think to her yourself, well, hang on, Who what about the compassion yeah. at home? And she said, and continue to do what is right and what is good. So she's elevated herself to a sort of goddess that nobody must criticise, no one must disagree with, um, because she knows better than anyone. And then you think, well... You are an okay actress, but where's your credentials to do this? And she just genuinely feels that. And so Harry worships her and will say and think whatever he's told to do. I think also what Rafe was saying earlier about the... When you asked about uh, Princess Diana, I think that... I, 
it's a lot, lot, lots of elements of that interview felt scripted, not from Harry, but particularly between Oprah and Meghan. And I think a lot of the allusions there were intentional, and it's almost seems slightly psychopathic if you look at the comparisons between the way that Meghan has dressed um, in in identical outfits multiple times to Princess Diana, her talking about, um, as Rafe mentioned, meeting up with one of Diana's friends. She's there's there's seemed felt like there was something very um intentionally manipulative about it. And I as think Rafe, that's to keep um Prince Harry yeah, on the lead. As, yeah. as Rafe said earlier though as well that um she's not she's a very um a, a, a very uh shrewd and ambitious person. And there's no way that somebody who's that, not to say that somebody who's, who's ambitious or successful can't get depressed, but there's no way that she's as thin-skinned and innocent as she's putting across. When she was talking about the fact that she had to, God bless her, she had to Google the national anthem because nobody gave her any training from the firm in how to sing the national anthem and that she felt lost because she had to learn some hymns for she's church. She's an actress and she exactly. learns script. And, sure. and the fact that also that she, um, when she said that about... Um, the way that she was talking about the Queen, there is this complete lack of um, respect. And I, don't, I think that's an, a willful ignorance on her part that she said that she didn't think that um, she would have to curtsy to the Queen behind closed doors as if the Queen isn't really the Queen, that it's just some show for the public. And it's absurd that she could even suggest that she was truly that ignorant and naive. The thing is, I think, I mean, I'll ask you, Brandon, here. Um, the thing is, is that... We're talking about her and what kind of character she is, or, or we could be talking about Diana. But the ultimate thing is, is that when these things happen with the royal family, um, basically, support for the institution stays remarkably stable, right? I'm not talking about the monarch here. Um, but when it comes to Republicans such as yourself, for example, uh, it never really goes above 20%. I think that the worst, it went to about 20-something percent during the Diana years, and it kind of went back. D- do you think this is different this time, or, or do you think that they will weather this uh, just like they weathered 1995, 96, 97? Um, well, you know, I, I'm, I am a Republican, but I don't want a Republic on the basis of Meghan Markle uh, driving the knife into the monarchy. That's yeah. not the kind of public I'm dreaming of. And in fact, when I hear left-wingers in the in the media and online and in various debates I've done, when I hear left-wingers talking about Meghan Markle as the woman who will single, single-handedly turn Britain into a, a republic, I just think they sound completely mental. I mean, that's not how it works. The whole point of a republic, as the name itself suggests, is that it's it's about the public. It's about trusting the public to make their own political decisions and, in particular, to elect their own head of state. It's not about cheering on one house against another or cheering on um, a shrewd identitarian operator from the US as she throws insults at the monarchy. So I, I think it's it, those people who are saying this could propel us towards a republic, I think they're being incredibly naive. This is not how a republic comes about, and this is not how a, a republic should come about. And that's why in this discussion, I am firmly team queen, because <laughs> the queen is behaving with dignity. She is someone who has um, completely sacrificed herself 
to public duty and to her constitutional role. And I think the clash that we're fundamentally witnessing is a clash between the culture of narcissism mm -hmm. as represented by someone like Meghan Markle, who is obsessed with herself, obsessed with advertising her virtue, advertising her wounds, telling everyone about herself all the time in this very confessional way, versus someone like the Queen who represents the stiff upper lip, keeping it all in, keeping yourself together, and giving yourself over to something bigger than yourself. And that's what the Queen represents. So this is a fundamental culture clash mm. between the new cultures of self-obsession and the old cultures of, of loyalty and duty and sacrifice. And that's why I'm on the side of the monarchy in this discussion. But I think, um, I think the monarchy will ride this out. But I think a lot of the support, even for the institution, I think is bound up with support for the Queen. I think there is a huge amount of love in the UK for the Queen because of her longevity, because of her seriousness, because of her lifelong commitment. I think when she goes, the monarchy will be in trouble. And that's when it will become an interesting discussion, potentially. I think, you see, the interesting thing there is that um, you say that, but... But, Rafe, maybe you could, you know, give us your, your thoughts on this. Uh, this idea that, oh, but when people talk about the monarchy, they are talking about the Queen. Um, the Queen's always had very high favourability rates, you know, with the public. But, as I said, the institution, even during the dark days, actually, when people say, do you want it to continue, they say yes. And then they, people, the pollsters say do you want Charles or William or something? But if you add all the options up, it still comes out as a significant majority for the institution, does it not? It is, absolutely. You have to remember that in a country like Britain, which is the world's longest continuous constitutional democracy, we have no great celebration of an Independence Day or a Republic Day or the anniversary of any great war of liberation or anything like that. It's the monarchy that is actually... The the central focal point of our of our nation, yeah. not only institutionally but also culturally and socially. You know, the Queen's role is both as head of state, which is receiving ambassadors, going on state visits, and so forth, but it's also head of the nation. It's the, it's, 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 it's the person who basically becomes the focal point for outpourings of uh, patriotism, for displays of unity. When the Queen attends a service at, at St Paul's Cathedral, it's as the mother of the nation, really, where the Abbey is for you know, the head, of the head of state, and there's that role, which you know we is is the only thing left in this country. I would say that is that has a chance of binding the people together because it stands above class divisions, stands above race, stands above politics. It's a neutral institution to which we can we, we can basically draw hope from in the terms of in, in the sense of it being a grounding institution when everything else changes so rapidly and dramatically. The monarchy is a rock that helps us to you know, know our place in our, in our island story. Do you think, can I ask, whoever wants to answer, answer this actually, uh, it's my perception, it's, it's going a, a bit against received wisdom maybe, but you know the argument with the monarchy was always somehow or other that it was going to become gradually more and more irrelevant. Now, it's my perception that that, strangely enough, has not happened. That for all sorts of reasons, possibly because of the culture wars that we're always talking about on this programme, it's actually become symbolically very relevant mm -hmm. again. And in fact, you know, if you look at the statue argument, it's almost like you think, I'm rather surprised they haven't come for the monarchy yet because it's the living embodiment, isn't it, of that history? Would you say that it feels more, as Rafe just said, it's one of the few things that 
actually can legitimately and harmlessly bring people together. I, I think very much that the Queen has become a sort of grandmother yeah. to all her citizens. When the pandemic struck, and it was really scary. I mean, we were uh, at, at lost, really, because it was so powerful and suddenly the life we'd led, we could no longer lead. Um, and when she came on with her speech, which was very unusual for her to speak outside of Christmas Day, um, there was 112 words, I think she said, but she changed the mood of the country by saying, you know, we will overcome this, we will get better, you know, we must be strong. And um, people really needed that um, and, and, and felt more comfortable and that she would somehow sort it because she is the core of this country. Yes, really. but you see, that, that I'd say the most interesting thing about that speech was not actually so much what she said, which was great, but the fact that 24 million people watched well, it. That's right. <laughs> you know, in other words, it that's shows... That's our need. She, that was, our she need. has a masterful way as well of saying things without saying them, not being political whilst also being the last stand against all of the nonsense. And I think that that is why I am so concerned that when... Harry apparently told Oprah, by the way, can you make it clear it wasn't the Queen or Prince Philip that had said these apparently racist comments, that in in a way, they, presuming that it's not going to be Prince William because it's very unlikely, and, and they also said very nice things about William and Kate during that interview, he essentially put the boot in against Prince Charles but which Prince Charles I isn't think at all racist. and he but it, it's 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 the suspicion like you said the dark cloud hanging over them and I think that Pr- Prince Charles doesn't have the same level of hold, hold or charisma as the queen does over people and obviously there are some people who think that it should skip to um William and Kate and to some extent Kate embodies a lot of those virtues that stand in absolute contrast to Meghan Markle and Meghan has framed it as if this is um, a a PR fight that the the narrative are pushing this this false narrative about Meghan and Harry and she said something in the interview that said you know you don't have to you know hate one of us and love the other one it doesn't have to be framed in that way but the the fact of it is after having framed it that way she framed it in that way and also the fact of it is that she does embody the opposite of the virtues that Kate embodies. Kate is really the the, the heir of the queen in terms of the sort of ma- that matriarchal archetype um, that the, that the, the monarchy uh, that encompasses all of the values that, that we associate with the monarchy and why it's such a good thing for this country. Uh, I don't think that you can av- avoid that that clash and the contrast really brings out, you know, Meg. I all think of that I well. think that Prince Charles will change when he becomes king. I think he's very cautious about upsetting his mother or doing things that aren't right at this stage in her life. I spent a year with him before his 70th birthday and the way he reacts to young people, um, getting them off the streets and millions of people down in, in, in uh, around the country um, and giving them a chance to live. He's very popular when he goes around, but he's... Somebody like, um, you know, like a sort of deputy prime minister, as it were, who who can't actually call the shots because he's respecting his mother. But I think once he does become king, that that will change and we will find that he can manage it in his own way. He won't be the same, quite right. Can I sort of... uh 
you see, again, we, 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 we're doing actually what we've got to be careful not to, which is that we talk endlessly about the personalities. I know, I know this is terribly important in this case, but it's the institution I'm thinking of really here. Mm. I'm sorry, and, and you know, I'm, I've... I've I, you know, I've I've got a, a bit of a, a grudge going here with uh, with Brendan as a, as a great monarchist. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that the way I see it is this: if I can explain, um, I remember when I was living in America during nine eleven. Right, um, there were people who wanted to express their extraordinary patriotism when the country was under attack. So, but they hated Bush, right? But they felt that if they had started criticising Bush, they would have appeared treacherous and disloyal. And it sort of occurred to me then, isn't this the greatest situation we've got, therefore, where we've got a figure who you can go and cheer if you want, and you're not making a political statement, you see? The difference is, what kind of a president would you want, Brandon, if you want a president? Would it be a ceremonial one or would it be a, a powerful one? Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm a radical Democrat. I know that's not particularly popular, and I'm sure most of the public would not agree with me. I, I want a unicameral um, parliamentary system, so I want to get rid of the second chamber. I think the House of Lords is completely out of date and a disgrace to oh, democracy. We agree with that. Yeah, you know, these unelected peers, I think, is terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think if we have a head of state, he or she should be elected. I think we should also have more power, democratic say-so in the workplace, in everyday life. I'm in favour of more referendums. I thought the Brexit referendum was one of the greatest political events of modern times. I'm just a huge fan of democracy, and that's that's the very simple reason why I'm opposed to having a, a hereditary head of state. It's really as simple as that. But, but things are complicated now. And I think you're right to suggest that the monarchy has become bound up in the culture wars. And I increasingly find myself on the side of the monarchy, not as an institution, but certainly as an idea. But I think um, monarchists have to face up to the fact that the monarchy is an institution out of time, out of its time. And I, I actually think Many ordinary people in the UK admire the Queen, the Queen enormously and um, support the institution of the royal family. But there are growing numbers of influential uh, cultural elites, media elites, um, various um, powerful people who would view the monarchy as outdated, archaic. And the monarchy runs counter to so many contemporary trends, like the trends for self-revelation, emotionalism, um, speaking your truth, as Meghan Markle ridicu ridiculously puts it. So the monarchy, I think, faces a political, cultural struggle to remain intact. And, you know, the great power of the monarchy always lay in the fact that it could maintain an aura of mystery. It was, um, mm. it, it floated slightly above the real world and things, you know, behind palace doors, we didn't really know what was going on. It was a mysterious institution whose power derived from its mystery. And now it's under extraordinary pressure to join the culture in which we're all supposed to let it all hang out and express our sorrows and advertise our pain and signal mm. our virtue. That is going to be, a very corrupting culture for the monarchy. So I think people who support the monarchy should actually treat very seriously the threat posed by contemporary culture, because I think that, even more so than Meghan Markle, that is what is going to grate against the monarchy in the coming years. Can I ask, uh, 
what's your judgment? We're going back to pers- personalities again. What sort? What do you think? I mean, you know, when you talk about Meghan and Harry, um, you know, w- one of the views seems to be that sooner or later this marriage is going to end anyway. Uh, you know, basically once once she's done what she's going to do, you know, bang, he's off. Do you, does that sound frivolous to you, or does that sound possible, likely, or? Um, her history is that she uses people until she no longer needs them and then drops them. The, the, the point is, though, that um, she's needed to stay with Harry because um, the royal tick is what's giving her all these opportunities. Um, but you can see he's fallen really behind her and he doesn't want to stand up to her. I don't know what you feel. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he, he, he's, it seems as if he is sort of um, in her shadow and whilst she needs him for her purposes, as it were, um, it does, I do wonder how sort of psychologically sustainable it is for him I mean obviously we don't know what's going on behind closed doors but it doesn't seem as if it's a particularly healthy relationship um and as we we're talking about earlier with the um comments that he made about his his family members being trapped and how it was almost like you know I, I was trapped and, and, and I didn't realise I was trapped until she told me that I was trapped. But now I'm free because she said that I'm free and everybody else is trapped, you know. But, uh, isn't that and the very definition of woke? I was I was asleep and now I is woke. Exactly. <laughs> you know? and, but it, but there's there's something a bit sinister in that yes, that, yes. that makes me think that, you know, she's obviously got a huge amount of sway over him. Um, he doesn't seem to, he seems sort of almost like a shell of his former self. Um, so I don't know how sustainable that is. I have no idea whether or not it's, his, their relationship is sustainable over time. But I don't think it's, a, it, doesn't, it doesn't appear to be from the outside like a particularly uh, emotionally healthy one. But Harry <laughs> hasn't got very much to offer to all these uh, things that she's doing. He can't act. He, he was in the army, but that's not relevant now. Um, he hasn't got a qualification in anything else. So um, he hasn't found a real place where he can be. Whereas Megan is is doing masses. Mm. And um, I don't think that that's necessarily a healthy way for well, a couple to move forward. You've only got to look at many of the social memes at the moment with the two of them, you know, uh, and they've been, you know, in, uh, their faces have been reversed and yes. she's leading them along like a little <laughs> child. Really. Yeah. Well, look, thank you very, very much, all of you, for, um, for sharing your particular truths with us today. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Rafe. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you very, very much, Emma. And um, yeah, thank you very, very much, Angela. Um, that's it for this week. As I said at the very beginning, uh, please do remember to subscribe, won't you? And, uh, well, God save the Queen, actually. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye-bye.